This is Bonjour Chai, the Hot and Hanchi edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Phoebe Malthbovi in Toronto. We are your frozen chosen. On today's show, we are all about some good Israeli loving. Is this a hot Sabra winter or something else? We get to talk to Lisa Chanowitz about her new show, Hanchi, and so much more. Stay tuned. we got a great one for you today. Phoebe, what's on your mind? Well, I'm thinking about Leonardo DiCaprio, of, of as course. are all women <laughs> at all times. Um, no, so uh, I was, you know, it, it caught my eye that there was another round of Leonardo DiCaprio headline, you know, headline circulation. And this one has made its way all the way to the Jewish news um, because, and not just the Canadian Jewish news, the Jewish Jewish news is worldwide because, da 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 Leonardo DiCaprio's latest rumored love interest is an Israeli woman. And you'll never guess, she's 56 years old. No, she's 19 years old. And she is in the profession of uh, fashion modeling. And her name is Eden Polani. And she is, uh, you know, a a very pretty model. (laughs) And whether or not he's actually dating her, I do not know. He has not confided in me either way. So, I mean, he is the one that's 56, right? Is that correct? Or how old is he? Nobody's 56. Well, I mean, somebody in this world is surely 56. But he's He's 48, 48. apparently. I had to look it up for this um, This Makes me feel a lot better. um, (laughs) I'm roughly in that that world of, of Leonardo DiCaprio, at least age wise, if, if not anything else. <laughs> um, why is this interesting, or is it interesting okay, so, because it shouldn't be? I mean, I should confess that the article I wrote for the Canadian Jewish News about this, I wrote with a sleeping seventeen uh, month old, not not nineteen year old, seventeen month old on me, because like there's a so it may have been a bit of a hot take. However, I do think it is actually significant. And here's why. It used to be that these sorts of stories would make the news because like, oh, look, it's representation of a Jewish woman. Oh, wow. Let's make sure we, you know, like when it was Bar Raffaele that he was dating at one point. But here I noticed that there was a story in the Jewish Chronicle. Um, so from Britain about that was basically this aggregation of tweets about how problematic age gap relationships are. And I thought, wow, coverage of these, this sort of thing has really changed and that there's this whole sort of post me to really focus on, is it okay for an older man to be with a younger woman, especially if the older man is, you know, rich and powerful. And that that was how people were talking about this rather than just like, oh, look, there's a beautiful Jewish woman, let's uh, so do you think that, Wait, so just to clarify, then do you think that the same discussions would be happening regardless of this girl's nationality? Yes, she's a girl. 19. No, she's a woman. I think that the, (laughs) I think that the, um, I don't think that there'd be any reason Jewish outlets would be covering it if the woman were not Jewish, because to my knowledge, Leonardo DiCaprio is not Jewish. Um, but yeah, that's, that's basically what I think is that the reason it's being covered in the way it is. So it's not only Jewish outlets interested in this, this has been a real sort of trending topic, you know, in the, the gossipy world of, Um, Well, sort of what used to be gossip journalism, but that in recent years has morphed into this kind of very concerned um, sort of secular ethical journalism, where instead of gushing over celebrities, it's kind of like asking if they're being problematic. And Leonardo DiCaprio 
has done a problematicness, apparently, because he dates a lot of younger women. So people are chastising him about it. Now, whether they should be or not is it's is a separate question that we can discuss. Yeah, I mean, I... I get the question about the problematics. Um, I find it interesting that the Jewishness is sort of being set aside, um, even within the Jewish community, other than the fact that it's being covered because she is Jewish. Um, you know, I can't help but, you know, question of like, oh, wait, is this anti-Semitic, right? That the more important thing that is being discussed is actually the more important thing to discuss, <laughs> right? And whether or not she's a wonderful example of the Jewish community, great. We, we, there's more Jews in the world that are doing amazing things. Um, we, we, don't take care, we don't talk about that at all. All that we care about is uh, whether this is a problem. Yeah, I mean, what I thought was interesting, though, really was this, um, I guess it isn't so much the Jewish angle, but is more because I think especially in this context, we're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio dating very young women for fairly brief amounts of time. And then they age out of his age range. There are like graphs showing this. This is a whole subculture um, and that then I, he, I am not aware of. Or, well, it's it's just sort of, I don't know, you, you don't want to be aware of it. But the point is, I don't think that there's a real continuity question here. You know what I mean? I don't think there's any... If Leonardo DiCaprio is rumored to be dating a new model, I don't think the idea is like, oh, he's going to be marrying this person and having children with this person. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think yeah, it's going to be I, a topic in that way. I get it. Way. Um, yeah, what I... You know, the age... The aging doesn't bother me in in as many ways um, because at some point... I mean, it's it's it might be icky... And we might feel that it's icky, but at some point, um, you know, it's hard for me to, to judge. Do we judge older women who go out with much younger men? I know that Leonardo DiCaprio, because he is globally famous, is in a position of power. Um, in the past, from what I get, gather, the types of women that he's dated were not necessarily coerced because they were equally uh, stars or stars in the making. Um, so I, I don't f- see that there. And at some point, we sort of have to create that that uh idea that like if you're a certain age you know what you're doing and you're able to make a decision for yourself yeah so i agree with you um but i'm starting to think that this may be a generational thing and that gen z understands things very differently because yes i you know came of age in the world where once you're an adult you're an adult you make decisions for yourself they're not necessarily good decisions people aren't necessarily nice to you it's not that the world becomes suddenly this well-organized place the minute you're an adult legally, but you don't want to talk about age gap relationships in this way that unfortunately has happened a bunch since uh, Me Too, where you have stories about like this innocent young 28 year old, this ingenue 28 year old who was just, who didn't even know what was what, you know, it's like at a certain point, people are adults, you know, And that doesn't mean that nothing terrible or even illegal can happen to them. They can still be the victims of, you know, crimes. It's just, it's not inherently unethical, you know, for two adults of different ages to date or else really people are always of different ages from each other. Remember that it would be pretty tricky. When you were in school, was there that old uh, line about how like to know the the age gap that is acceptable, you're supposed to go uh, half your age plus seven years. And then you would always work that through. It's like 20 becomes 17. Okay. Uh, Maybe sort of, I get, and then 80 becomes 47 and like, okay, that's sort of something there maybe. Um, But I feel like that's not true anymore, both for good and for bad. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of 
some parts of society have kind of drilled down on that. And um, I've seen things even where women in their 30s, if they're enough younger than a man, it's like, she's the innocent young thing. Then I just sort of my jaw drops because like, no, but um, I think what is I think what's been helpful with me too, and where I think it's been a so I'm talking about like the 2017 shift um, inspired by all the terrible things uh, done by Harvey Weinstein, where people now sort of look at relationships and, um, you know, in a new light, in a new sort of critical light, especially heterosexual relationships. And I think it's good that people take into account power dynamics when you're talking about like a boss and an employee, you know, a professor and an adult still, but still student, things like that. And, that there are certain situations where even if two people are adults, it's not ethical for them to, you know, form a relationship. I think that's, you know, fair and reasonable. I think where things get sort of where I think the the younger generation may, you know, want to reconsider is this idea that there's something inherently exploitative about, um, you know, power imbalance relationships, because all relationships are power imbalance relationships, and often in different ways, with one person more powerful in one way, the other in another way. Then, but the other thing this is making me think of is this idea of who it should be ethically out of bounds for dating. And I think, you know, you get into something tricky when like, there's always this thing about like, students and teachers, right, you know, and I don't mean like, children, I mean, like adults in like a university setting. But then I think about Mm -hmm. something like New York University, where I went to grad school, is like half of New York City is somehow involved with it. If you're a grad student at NYU, which I was, you are both teacher because you're TAing and a student. Are you not ethically allowed to date anybody who is an NYU either student or professor or indeed another grad student? Because, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like you can get to a point where it doesn't all quite add up. Yeah, and there's a lot of discussion. I think it's beyond what we're thinking about here. Um, uh, if the if the professor's in a different department, if the professor or somebody is an administrator, but they really have nothing to do with you, if uh, if you're an undergrad, I think it makes things way more tricky. I don't think that an undergrad um, is in a position to date anybody who might have, be in a position of power, but let's, let's yeah, I don't know. It is gets, It does get messy, um, and I think that we should, you know, save that and think about that um what does interest me about this story is how like everybody just assumes yeah he's never going to get married to this person so that it's okay right and i'm like well what if he does what if they leo dicaprio i'm talking about and uh, what's her name again mm-hmm. um polani eden polani not polanski yes. different type of rela- <laughs> relationship <laughs> um but eden polani um is you know, I'm gaming it out. I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? There's going to be all these discussions about whether he's going to convert. Um, is this going to become another celebrity conversion like Jared and, and Ivanka? Is it like, you know, what? Where, where does that go? And I'm like, just because it's new or it's not even a thing, maybe maybe this is the person that uh, convinces uh, Leonardo DiCaprio to settle down. Sure. But the other thing that I'm thinking about, though, and that I want to ask you about, because you would be far more knowledgeable about this than I am, is, is it more common for women who are not Jewish to convert to Judaism when, you know, in the process of marrying a man who is Jewish than for non-Jewish men to convert when marrying a Jewish woman? And I ask both for two reasons. One is the sort of, um, you know, the matrilineal... Mm -hmm, For sure 
yeah. issue, of course, but the other is just like um, this sort of cultural, there's, there's a real cultural interest in Jewish men and non-Jewish women and the so-called shiksa and all of this. And I feel like there is not an equivalent cultural interest in the broader culture, I mean, of what's happening when a non-Jewish man is with a Jewish woman. I feel like that just, it happens all the time. It happens from what yeah. I've looked into about the same amount. It's just people don't seem to care Okay. Um, both for these matrilineal reasons right. and for just cultural reasons, because, you know, Philip Roth and Woody Allen had nothing to say on the matter. So, <laughs> and that's where everybody knows anything about Judaism in 20th century America. Um, no, so, um, first of all, much ink has been spilled over the question of the shiksa and shiksa appeal and any discussion that I don't, much blood has been spilled, I'm sure, over, over that question. Um, I'm sure there are people that say that I shouldn't even say that word and it's offensive just to even bring up the word shiksa, um, you should say the, the S, S word, word yeah, yeah. people will think you're talking about something totally I, different. There are yes. people that genuinely believe that. So I'm, yes, let's I not know. go there. Uh, I will. S- the S the slur. S slur. The S slur. Um, I I don't have the data in front of me, and I'm not a, such a data head. I, I know that I should be more. Um, but anecdotally, what I would say is um, it used to be not so much um, of a difference, right? It used to be that it was fairly 50-50 that you would have um, Jew- non-Jewish men uh equally willing and part of the process of converting when uh, two people are... I mean, the, right. And there's the other issue that I that is perhaps not um, family... Well, maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it takes more for a man to convert to Judaism. It, it does take a little more. A little a more. A little more. <laughs> a little more of himself. Um, and yeah. so, so, yeah. So anecdotally, I do think that it was fairly... Uh, equal. Um, I and again, mm-hmm. anecdotally, I could be entirely mm-hmm. wrong here. Uh, I do get the sense that lately it has started shifting. In that, if it's the woman in the relationship that is not Jewish, there there seems to be a greater impetus for this person to convert rather than if it's mm-hmm. the man. It's like, well, we at least know that even in the Orthodox community, this kid will get an aliyah and uh, and whatnot, and that that's not as uh, thought about. Although it is definitely still a concern, especially because people have a relationship with their rabbi sometimes and they say, hey, I'd like you to do the wedding. And sometimes the rabbi can't because of this. And so there is still some pressure to uh, to convert, but but not as much. So, uh, Leo, let's hope you're circumcised. Um, <laughs> if it gets to that, <laughs> I don't know. Uh <laughs> Speaking of hot young Israelis, why don't we get to uh, our main interview with Aliza Chanowitz of Hanshi right after we hear from our sponsor. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. 
few weeks ago, I mentioned during my nachas that there was a new show premiering at Sundance called Hanchi. You may also recall that Hanchi's writer and star is my wife's cousin, and today we dive deeper into this show and what it represents. The show is about a young woman who makes aliyah for all the wrong reasons and everything that ensues. It is funny, poignant, and more than a little sexy. Hanchi travels to Israel for her best friend's wedding and uses the opportunity to fulfill her fantasy of wanting to sleep with as many hot Israeli soldiers as possible. Of course, nothing is as simple as it seems, and Hanchi begins to learn a lot about the country, other people, and herself. All this sprung from the brain of Aliza Chanowitz, and Aliza is here with us from Tel Aviv. Aliza, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Hey, you said my name right. <laughs> oh, come on. It's this family. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hi. So I, I love this show. Hanchi is fantastic. Um, and I wanted to just start with the opening scene, which, and just sort of um, talk about how, like, first you think you're seeing this kind of ro- this girl's romantic fantasy about an Israeli soldier. And then there's this moment where she kisses all of these different soldiers on the mouth. And it's like, no, 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 this is going to be different. This isn't a, just a sort of like very chaste romantic fantasy about a soldier, but this is like sexual in a different sort of way. Right. And I found that both like sort of very clever, but also just extremely funny. Like there was just something very funny about that. I was really laughing, but I was just thinking about what, what to make of that. So it almost like there's something about this where it seems like coming from a very religious environment maybe makes Hanchi sort of unaware of the secular sort of norms of like where a woman would be kind of more passive and not really like going around out and pursuing men. I almost wonder if like the absence of kind of socialization in the secular world is kind of what almost allows Hanchi to kind of have that approach. First of all, in terms of writing, I can't, you know, you go through all these different drafts of what um, what in, in the end is actually going to be filmed and then what actually remains from the editing room. And that scene through all the drafts always remained, the opening scene. Because mm-hmm. I thought it was really telling and surprising and it kind of like puts you into this world. Maybe at first you think you're seeing this like kind of... Uh, is old Israeli like film and then you're like wait a second something here is wrong and then she kind of like wakes up and you're like oh this is a fantasy but um people ask me I don't know if I'm answering your question but people a lot of times ask me about this whole thing about this obsession with uh, American girls obsessing over Israeli soldiers and there is some kind of explanation of like this being like the other and kind of this the ideal Israeli and and how we fantasize about these things. So I don't really have the explanation. I just have the feeling <laughs> that I mm-hmm. have it. And a lot of other people I know have fantasized about it. And then you get to know them and you're like, oh, they take off their uniform. And then <laughs> it's just like not as interesting. Well, it depends um, if they take off their uniform and there's nothing under it or and they're just wearing normal clothes. It depends what you mean by take off their uniform. But yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's offense. definitely I think it's definitely a thing. Um yeah, it's definitely a thing. I'm not sure whether it's limited to um, North American Jews or just in... I feel like there's the hot Israeli soldier is almost like a thing in mainstream society. Like At least in the Jewish world, wherever it is. Because I think... Avi, you don't agree No, I actually do. So I, I, I don't know. I don't think about hot Israeli soldiers myself, personally. Um, uh, male or female. Shame. Uh, it takes shame. all kinds. It takes all kinds. No, um, <laughs> I... The way that I approached that or the, the way I, I was thinking about it, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, you went, so first of all, you went to like Yeshiva Flatbush, right? 
I believe that's correct, mm-hmm. um, which Phoebe, by the yes. way, has a connection to because her grandmother grew up around the corner and we figured this out. We well, <laughs> my grandmother actually grew up in Montreal, but um, spent some of her late, many of her later years on that block. Uh, yes. He's 15. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so the, <laughs> the modern Orthodox and Sioni, like modern Zionist um, approach of like Zionist education in high school is about like rah-rah Zionism, rah-rah Israel. We love Israel. We love mm. the soldiers that are protecting us. And I see it as a natural extension. They're like, of course, you're going to like ha- develop like a thing for hot chayalim, hot soldiers, right? And that the story begins because all of a sudden you have this woman who has this young woman who has this moment and this opportunity to say, no, you know what? I'm actually going to go for it, right? I have this thing for young hot Israeli soldiers that I want to fulfill. I'm going to move a month early, right? I'm going to move. I'm going to go a month early to my friend's wedding so that I can go and do this. And she all of a sudden recognizes that, A, yes, it's available and it's possible for her to do this, but it's complicated. And the entire theme of the rest of the show, right, is about said complication. It's about how not easy it is to deal with the reality that you're that you learn and what ends up being there so the other example is you know sexuality in general forget about her wanting to have sex with hot young israeli soldiers it's sex is complicated um and she didn't learn that in her jewish day school upbringing right she just learned about sex and you're going to do it when you're married and you'll figure it out then but sex is complicated and consent around sex is complicated and the and the the negotiations during sex, right, and and playing with that is complicated. And Israel is complicated, even though when, you, when you're learning about Israel in your day school environment, you learn about Zionism, and nobody tells you that Zionism, the apotheosis of Zionism is paperwork, and complicated paperwork, and annoying paperwork. And so all of what she is doing is going through all of these steps to realize that life isn't what you learned in high school, and that stuff is complicated um, to the nth degree. That that was my approach. Help me out here. That does uh, that does uh, make sense to me. I will say also that when you get to the end of the series, I think you look back and you see things a bit differently of Hanchi's character and also in terms of where she started and where she ended up. Character building. For sure. Well, that's you what know. you're supposed to do, I heard, in like filmmaking, right? Yeah, yeah apparently. Yeah. No, also because like I'm thinking... I mean, maybe I didn't like it wasn't in my at the front of my brain, but it's definitely like um, something that about me that I put into my character is like when I came to Israel, I'm like I knew a bunch of these old Israeli songs and all these Israelis were like, where do you know? And I'm like, we sang it in our choir. Do you know what I mean? Like you get a certain uh, it's part of your upbringing, my upbringing in terms of the shoe flaps and like what it can yeah, we, Zionism. Can we talk a little bit about um, your background? Because um, I was just while watching it, I was thinking like, these accents are accents I know, these people are people I kind of know, but I had, so I went to Stuyvesant High School in New York, kind of had a different, I grew up in Manhattan, I'm Jewish, obviously, surprise, I know it's just gonna <laughs> shatter everybody's thoughts here, but um, I did not grow up religious at all, so I'm just trying to make sense of sort of, um, yeah, like, who's who on the show, but also just like, so you you grew up in Brooklyn and moved to Israel, is that right? Yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. I moved to Israel when I was 21. Mm-hmm. My father, my parents are divorced. My father's Chabad always was. Definitely got more into his roots <laughs> later on. Um, and my mom is modern Orthodox. So I kind of come from a mix. And I think in terms of 
building the character of me kind of coming from this mishmash, which doesn't seem maybe like a mishmash to someone on the outside who's just like religious Jew or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me personally, being on the fence about everything, no matter which way, like all orthodox, ultra orthodox kind of thing. And I, I, and I wanted to put that kind of into my character because I don't feel like I come with some like, this is, if you try to put her into a box, which I which is very convenient because then you can understand things, and I I'm not against putting people into boxes to explain things. Mm-hmm. But if you try to put her into her, like a religious box of what she is, I don't think I've been like on the nose specifically. She's Chabad or she's this or she's that. She's definitely more religious than um, the way I grew up, just because that's better storytelling. It's like easier to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that makes sense, and I think that also just speaking about like how it would seem from the outside, I don't think it would be self evident to somebody from the outside that an observant Jew looking to kind of break free would would run off to the Jewish state <laughs> to do that. You know what I mean? Like that's that's something that wouldn't necessarily seem like an obvious choice. It when, would if you're why not just go to some other soldiers. Sure. But there are, you know, there are hot young men in Brooklyn, too, right? And who are available and so forth. Um, It makes perfect sense in the context of the show, but like that it would seem maybe like a unusual choice, perhaps from the outside, if you're thinking of somebody who finds their um, observant Jewish background stifling in some way that they would run off to Israel and um, indeed, perhaps to the arms of observant Jewish men. Well, the thing about uh moving countries if you're trying to get away from something as a jew you know it's a place you definitely can go to and it's pretty far from brooklyn and um so i think that it's like it's easy to go you know you just need to be jewish and kind of like you could even be a criminal and they'll accept you know you you have somewhere to go Mm -hmm. so i can understand why on paper it's like if you're running away from kind of your bubble why would you go to another jewish bubble but there's something about it that, for me, I can only speak for myself, mm-hmm. was very freeing because it's like, okay, everybody kind of knows where I'm coming from. I want to be, at the end of the day, I want to marry a Jewish guy, but I kind of, like, want to do things my way. And it was a place where, like, you can go. And for me, I felt like it's very freeing. I could do whatever I want. And if I want to keep Shabbos, everybody knows what Shabbos is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And that would be then more difficult to do just by like changing neighborhoods in Brooklyn, right? Right. Now that makes sense. I, I, I'm just as fascinated, I have to say, by some of the secondary characters. And I think that not only they're just like well-written and thought out, um, but I think that they're, to me, the highlights of where everything, the story shows that it's really developed and showing how, um, you know, some person is X, some person is Y, and that they are the people that you actually meet and that have uh, a hard, you know, uh, time, uh, you know, going through the life just as much much as the other person does, but in their own way. And I end up thinking just as much about, you know, what's going on through the mind of uh, David's roommates who seem just as interesting and they're like giving him a hard time, but they're going through their own struggles. Um, uh, Hanchi's roommate, Hanchi's new roommate to me is like one of the most fascinating characters that there were because she wants to step into this world. She wants to do other stuff, but there's something that's holding her back. And she clearly had a very similar back education, but it was for some reason like more ingrained in her. And she had had less uh, desire or she has more desire but less ability internally to go and do that and we meet these characters all the time we meet people that are you know more than us and less than us and and that there's this spectrum 
of people that are doing more and doing less and feeling more and feeling less across all the characters that are there. And they're not just there to serve the story of Hanji itself. Well, I think it. Well, thank you. That's that's a great. That's a big compliment because I think uh, writing it, it's like I wanted to tell a certain story of Hanchi, and then you also want other characters to be interesting. Um, and kind of like different episodes, I would say, okay, now write it from the perspective of this character. Um, so if that worked out and made them interesting, that's great. Also, in terms of casting, I think we did a really good job uh, because the. First of all, the casting director, Hila Yuval, and the directors, um, Aaron Geva and Mickey Trias, like, we're all interested in the other smaller characters in terms of casting. Like, it's important. It doesn't just fill up the frame, you know? So, yeah. I, I kept going back and forth while watching between thinking, like, that this is showing how different the religious world is from the secular world. And then also thinking how it's everything. All people are basically the same. Being that age is the same, no matter who you are having the sort of good enough boyfriend, but being curious about what else is out there is like an extremely that age sort Mm -hmm. of mood to be in that, you know, I think a lot of young women could relate to um, whether, you know, there wouldn't be a banquet hall being booked or anything, but, but the sort (laughs) of the guy you're sort of supposed to, you know, maybe cohabit with for a while, then eventually marry and, and everybody wants that. But like, you feel like what else is out there? I think that that certainly um, is something that like every young woman I know in the secular world kind of went through at some point. Um, but then the yeah, I just keep thinking then that what was different, like, I can't imagine, especially in the kind of post Me Too era, like a secular show showing a woman kind of like out young woman out sort of chasing men with like that fearlessness <laughs> You know, like, again, I only saw the first two episodes, so I'm, I'm sure maybe the fear comes later. But like, that just seems something that you just wouldn't really see. Um, I don't mean to say that all religious women are out doing that. I don't think that was <laughs> no, but particularly I think the, the lesson way. is, but that more just that, like, if you haven't had that, imagine. Well, sure. But also that there isn't the kind of like in the secular culture, there is just much more of like what, like both the dangers of women doing that and that it would be kind of like unbecoming to do that um so yeah i thought it was yeah that's where i kept just um going back and forth but also just thinking yeah that's sort of that world that's also kind of between um north america and israel i feel like this just felt it very fresh like unlike anything else i've ever seen basically yeah um thanks um (laughs) i will say i do think i offend a lot of people but i try to offend everyone so then it's like even playing ground you should hear um, the episode we did on Chabad. We have offended, apparently, a lot of people because of last week's episode. <laughs> all right. Well, there's no such thing as bad publicity. I mean, people also, like, I, I know that I saw... Well, I'm, I'm on only... I'm only on two things. One is I have to say that the audiences in at Sundance, who maybe some of them are Jewish, well, I didn't see really any religious people there, so it seemed like it was very secular Americans, and they had a great response and they really liked the show. So um, I guess uh, her behavior is something that people identify with. And I think getting away with certain things by doing a show in Israel makes it possible because we haven't reached the point where America's at yet in terms of what you can put on TV and how you're going to phrase mm-hmm. it and how you're not going to offend anyone. So, mm-hmm. Well, right. And there's also the very like literal sort of, the, the kind of cultural turn in criticism, at least in the States, towards taking things very literally. And what I found um, 
really refreshing in Hanji is that there isn't like no like nothing feels like you have to take it literally like it's clearly based it, it all feels very true but not um not a you don't have to you don't exactly like you don't have to think would it really be wise to kiss on the mouth that many israeli soldiers in one you know like you don't have to think about it like that and and i just love how the opening really sets up that like you're not to be taking this literally in that way but i did do that and we had to do a few takes so <laughs> so it did happen it did Extra happen takes, just in case yeah. yes um <laughs> sorry i don't think we got that last one can we do it again um <laughs> I'm sure you're anticipating. Well, what, what a terrible job you must have. That sounds, it sounds <laughs> awful, you know? Well, I wonder, what, why yeah. did I go into opinion journalism when the, yeah, anyway. <laughs> I'm sure you're already anticipating that there's going to be a backlash from within the Orthodox community um, that is not going to be the same response that you may have gotten from the Sundance audiences. Um, is there something that you would preemptively say to an audience that is going to be Orthodox and watching this and saying, this is a horrible representation and of, uh, of our community. This is wrong. Um, this is a quote unquote, right? A desecration of God's name. Like how have you been thinking about, uh, the reception of this in the community that it's nominally based in? Uh, I haven't been thinking about that. Oh, and I will are. say that, um, well now, no, but I'll tell you, I, if I leave the house, right, because I have a, a, six-week-old baby. So um, if and when I leave the house, I've been getting good response from people on the street. I recently went to Jerusalem for a dental appointment, and three religious people asked me for selfies. They said that they loved the show. <laughs> so so wonderful. Yeah, so I, I can't say it's like a religious people. I think it's maybe more, it's not necessarily a Jewish thing, but just people that are more conservative in their lifestyle and think that this is the only way to go about things. Those are the people who are going to have a problem with it. And I say to them, like, who told you to watch the show? Yeah, I was going to say, are they even watching? That's something I would ask you also, Avi. Do you think that people who are so... Yes, they're watching. I was going to say, I think the Orthodox community has this thing where they hate watch or hate read anything that has to do with the Orthodox community, even if it's going to be evil, just so that they can deconstruct it and take it apart and say, Mm. that's wrong and that's wrong and that's not fair and that's wrong and that's bad and that makes us look bad and that's that. I think it actually makes us look good if that somebody would be open to hearing it. I think that someone who's saying, like, it, you know, the religious lifestyle is good and perfect and no one needs to, like, air your dirty laundry, I could say, well, it didn't work for me. And all I'm doing here is telling my own personal story and I'm trying to pay the rent. That's really what it is. But um, I, One of the remarkable things about this story, if you want to respond, I think about the fact that, like, she doesn't walk away from from orthodox from her orthodoxy she doesn't walk away from her faith and her practice and her traditions she basically says no i want to be doing this but i also want to be doing those people right and and that i don't right. see it as a as, as 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 a conflict because i do love my judaism and and that that's a there's a positive message there that's what i'm saying in terms of on the fence so i think that actually it sends a good message to people about in terms of i, I mean I, you know i i love Judaism and I love religious Judaism. I just ha- couldn't find myself in certain rules. And in terms of also Israel, I think um, it makes Israel look like a fun place that has you know different sides instead of it's it's either you know kibush or it's like. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, I think you're you're 100 right. Israelis sort of get that just because there's one thing that you do that isn't in line with the whole of Dati world doesn't mean that you reject it all, and that everybody has their thing, and that's that's different. 
and everybody. I don't think Israelis all get that. From what I've heard from people who told, like I, I'm on Facebook, but besides, I don't have any other social media. So I, so people have sent me like screenshots of like the bad things, the bad comments that people are saying because I find it entertaining and I find it interesting that it seems like these are people who either didn't watch the show or can't wait to watch the show, and therefore they have to say something negative about it. And they're not necessarily religious. So they're just like conservative people in terms of like, oh, we shouldn't have sex on TV. And it seems also like for Israeli audiences. Especially nowadays with these flat screens, it's so hard to have sex on TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry. Oh, no, now I lost my train of thought, but it was worth it. <laughs> um, well, if you get back to it, let us know. Um, I wonder, if, before we can go, I really want to spend a minute or two if you can comment on the music, because I thought that this was one of the few shows in recent <laughs> memory, Jewish or not, that had a soundtrack that was both great and also very appropriate to each situation and was so spot on um, to all the songs that were being selected, um, you know, and how they were being used. So I will. So I'm and, glad and you said I that think you should something. absolutely be making a playlist of this, either on Spotify or you know somewhere else to like Apple Music. Make a spot. Make a playlist um, because my producers yeah. will only play for pay for two of the songs, but um, almost all of the music is original music. Besides for some of the songs that play in like the background of like the shawarma and stuff, and some of those are also his. It's all uh, his name is Shuzin, and he's this really amazing musician and. He also works with references, and he never heard, like, for example, the second song that plays is, uh, sounds to me like the reference was Miami Boys Choir. And here's someone who never heard of Miami Boys Choir, and he, like, he just was really good at imitating, I guess, Mm -hmm. like, uh, what's the word? (laughs) Or whatever it is, but he just, like, he's not religious, you know what I mean? But he has, he's just so talented, and he would, like, I'd say, I want something kind of like this, and he did it, and, like, for example, episode four, you didn't watch, I watched but most like of them I said, I'm, I'm, I'm on episode. Oh, okay. So hooray, four, hooray for, for example, illegal streaming services. Yes, uh, yeah. As long as people are watching, right? Um, that he like we said, I said something like Wild West. Do you know what I mean? But like on a settlement, and he did this, like he just like pulled this out of his ass, and like because he's just really good. Shoes in, everybody, okay? We have to check this out. We have to um, make it. And uh, yes. Check it out. Send him a message. I'll tell him you also said I that you I want to hear it, it all. Um, you know, I mean, because this is the personal thing. The, the one recollection that I have of you through the years is that um, in my CD collection, there was always this mixtape from Aliza's Bat Mitzvah <laughs> with a face of her saying, don't bug me. <laughs> and <laughs> it has literally been in our lives for like 20 years and close to it. And so you're a mixtape person. You should be putting out all the music from the show. <laughs> yes. There's like two Harry Belafonte songs on there. Yeah. Yeah, I was that kid. Aliza, <laughs> um, I hope that there are, um, I know that you're not necessarily thinking about uh, seasons twos or threes, but uh, there definitely is work here available in all of the spinoff shows with all <laughs> the other characters. Um, keep doing amazing okay. work um, and hopefully we'll have you on again. And you should set a show in uh, Montreal about Montreal. absolutely 100%. Um, and yeah, film, it in, film it in winter. Film it in winter. Right. Underground. Yeah. Right. That's my next project. <laughs> Done. Aliza Chanowitz, uh, the star and creator of uh, Hanshi, 
Thank you for coming on Bonjour Chai. You can check it out Thanks. hopefully uh, somewhere soon in North I'm America. I'm a streamer. On an illegal streaming site, which I will not mention, but you should wait for it to be picked up by Netflix because I'm sure it will be. Um, and if you've seen it, we'd love to hear your comments and your thoughts. Send us email at bonjour at the cjn.ca. Let us know what you think about Hanchi. And now it's time in the show for our Nachas of the Week. Phoebe, what's your Nachas this week? Well, Avi, my Nachas is OHIP, Ontario's version of Canadian health insurance, because that is what I have been patronizing quite a bit lately, as uh, my daughter, my younger daughter and I have had matching ear infections. Woohoo! Aww, um, so so I just keep thinking about, um, yeah, you know, we decided to get them to match. Um, but what I, I just keep thinking about whenever I'm going to the doctor, but especially with my children, is I think about what a hassle, you know, this would be in the States where I'm from, where every time you're not only, you know, like there isn't the, you just the usual sort of, you know, it's frustrating and upsetting when a, a child's feeling sick, even if it's nothing serious. But then there's also the co-pays, all of this. Um, and I think about just what a an easy thing it is here. You know, you just show up, you go to the doctor, you show the health card or a photo of the health card, if that's what you have, since they give you only one and there are, you know, with two parents, you only get the one health card. Um, and you just go to the doctor, right? And that's it. And I just um, feel extremely grateful this week for Canadian healthcare and um, for just how easy it is, like not even about the sort of, I mean, also, obviously, there are other issues for why um, I like Canadian healthcare, but just the ease. And I think that's something people don't always realize about it. And uh, I, I'm happy with that. So I praise it. And I hope everybody gets themselves some good uh, Canadian healthcare. Beautiful. <laughs> Um, oh, yes. Good Canadian healthcare. I remember when I was at, uh, when I was living in the States, uh, they would, uh, you know, you'd go to Starbucks and it's like, is there anything else I can, uh, give you? And I'd be like universal healthcare and they would roll their eyes and <laughs> sigh and be like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. My nachas this week, uh, is that this weekend, um, most specifically, uh, Thursday, February 9th marks the 100th birthday of Chava Rosenfarb, who is a, uh, survivor, a Jewish Canadian author of Yiddish poetry, Yiddish novels. She was probably one of the greatest contributors to post Holocaust Yiddish fiction, one of definitely. Um, and so, uh, this weekend marks the 100th year of her birth. And 2023 being the centenary year of her, of her birth, um, she is being feted by her hometown of Lodz, Poland, as having the year of Chava Rosenfarb. There will be an academic conference um, devoted to uh, her work and her life in October. Um, I think it's really fascinating that somebody who then eventually settled and made her uh, life in Canada post-war and did much of her greatest work in Montreal, in Canada, um, is being celebrated in such a way. So a grosser yashar koyach to the uh, work of, uh, to Chava Rosenfarb and the work that she did and to the city of Lodz for uh, celebrating her in this manner. My, our hats are off to you. Phoebe, thanks as always. Lots of fun today. Thanks, Avi. This has been great. 
Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending February 11th, Shabbat Parashat Yitro. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcasts is Michael Freeman. Our music is by So-Called. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. It is always one of the best ways we get new listeners. As always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. And I'm Phoebe Maltz-Bovee.